what episode is this? 68. 68. That means you get episode 69. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Mm. <laughs> that made a 69 like they were they were mouth banging each other. <laughs> What's up, people? <laughs> That's a new one. I just wanted to say, whoa, good morning, ladies. <laughs> I was that's what I thought in my head. So then what's up, people? That's well, what's one. up? Welcome to I'm sorry with the podcast. I'm Amanda. I'm Christina. <laughs> oh, oh. That oh, came out your <laughs> came out Eeyore again. I you sang and it threw me off. So I was like, do I sing? I don't know. I'm, I'm Christina. It was beautiful. How was your How was your week? <laughs> it was good. It actually went really fast. Um all of a sudden it was fucking Thursday and I was like, "Well, got one more day left. Cool. That's great." <laughs> uh and now I got a weekend full of just bullshit. <laughs> Basically, it's busy work, you know, like cleaning the apartment. It's going to be a busy little beaver. (laughs) I'm just, I'm going to run a bunch of errands. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Great. Um, I I was just going to ask you, how was your, how was your week? (laughs) I did nothing all week. (laughs) No, that's a lie. (laughs) I helped my mom clean out her closet and get rid of all of her weird shirts that she wears that she should not wear I don't know who let her buy that but I got rid of it um my sister yelled at me one day because she was wearing a shirt she's like why would you let mom walk out of the house I'm like first of all I was sleeping (laughs) secondly Linda's a grown lady if she's gonna wear something grown ass woman (laughs) I can give her my recommendations but if she decides she's gonna wear it she's wearing it listen I love me some Linda but sometimes she wears like color on color on color and that mm. only works for like black on black show right. gray sweatpants and a gray sweatshirt and walk around looking like a thundercloud and i'm like linda <laughs> linda come on let's break this up with a little something else <laughs> so yeah i had to get we got rid of that and then i went through all my clothes so it was a lot of just like busy work i guess i was bored and i was like i'm gonna go on my clothes and i got rid of like my day i got rid of all this shit that i was keeping from college i'm like i should keep this for the memories fuck the memories it's just taking up space you know what i mean (laughs) that is me every time i go through anything i'm just like oh this really brings back (laughs) see and i'm normally like okay maybe i shouldn't throw this blah 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 blah. and i'm like why the fuck am i keeping this this is just catching dust in the fucking garbage so I got rid of like a whole bunch of shoes that I don't wear anymore. There you go. My shoes. Um, you guys don't fucking care, so I don't know why I keep talking about it. But <laughs> that was my week. <laughs> it's you talking to me. That's why we end up getting on these tangents where it's like, oh yeah, 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 and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, there's a lot of people listening to this that don't fucking care. We should probably wrap this up. Talking about my fucking shoes. <laughs> Uh, this is our our new side corner, you know. Shoes, shoes. and shit. Shoes and shit. <laughs> Susan shit is what that just sounded like. Susan! Susan! Shit! Shit, Susan! <laughs> I love you, Susan. Ooh, the bee's knees. She told me and this morning. When, elbows. She told me this morning when we were cleaning. She's like, I listened to the first half of your guys' episode, and I'm saving the other half for when I clean the garages tomorrow, because <laughs> she cleans the bus garages. Oh, and I was Susan. like, you're so cute. She goes, so I listen to Christina's, and I'm listening to your tomorrow. I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> oh, Susan, you're the best. <laughs> I love her. She is so good. She's so good. What's her garden coming along? Are there vegetables yet? Um, Not quite yet, but it's looking real pretty. Oh, good. I'm so excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you guys are <laughs> randomly when I'm coming to your house, like, do you want stuff? Because we got yes. extra. I want peppers. I want maters. I want my dad likes zucchini, mm-hmm. eggplant, randomly We'll throw in a random squash when it's Every fall. Now and then get a squash. Mm-hmm. Love me some uh-huh. butternut. 
Same. Okay, again, that's a just talking. corner. <laughs> <laughs> we're just talking. This is okay. So this is what happens when Christine and I don't get together for so long to have like just bullshit time for just us and not just recording because we just start talking about everything. That doesn't talking, matter. I'm talking about butternut squash right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put this into perspectives. We just talked about cleaning out closets in detail and then moved we on to butter- the garden. garden. <laughs> moved on to her mother's garden. <laughs> yep. Then vegetable talk, you know, usual yeah. stuff. <laughs> Small town Minnesota for you. <laughs> and all I gotta uh, do is slap my legs and say, whoops, should probably get going soon. <laughs> right? And then stand at the door holding the door handle for about 10 minutes while you say bye. (laughs) (laughs) And then continue the conversation out to the car. To the car until you get in the car and then you roll down the window. And continue talking. (laughs) And continue talking. And then when you're driving away, you're waving at each other. (laughs) Give it a little honk honk. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. See you later. Okay, seriously. (laughs) Let's just fucking start, shall we? Yeah, you tell me. I'm glad we got to laugh because I feel like. Yeah, I'm just going to laugh right now put a disclaimer out that my story is very graphic be ready so if you don't want to listen you can fast forward but it's a kind of a good story but <laughs> graphic details is that what you're saying mm-hmm. oh no okay i'm ready it's not i'm just gonna get into it am i gonna get pissed yes have you ever heard of the hi-fi murders it sounds familiar but i couldn't tell you what they i kept are. thinking it was the hydrofac murders because oh. you know but yep. it's not the hi-fi murders hi-fi and i was like i had no idea okay so on the evening of april 22nd 1974 there were at least two men i say at least two men because it's kind of controversial of how many people actually did this but we know for sure there was at least two of them okay um entered the hi-fi stereo shop in ogden utah around 7 p.m they entered with handguns with the intent to rob the store uh, two employees, Stanley Walker, who was 20, and Michelle Ansley, who was 18, were in the store at the time and were taken hostage. Uh, the two men took the the took Ansley and Walker into the store's basement and tied them up, and then began robbing the store. Uh, as they were robbing it, a 16-year-old boy named Courtney Nes- Nesbitt arrived to thank Walker for allowing him to park his car in the store's parking lot as he ran an errand next. Oh. Oh my gosh. Yes. He was also taken hostage and then tied up in the basement with Walker and Ansley. Okay. Then Oren Walker, Stanley Walker's 43-year-old father, became worried that his son had not returned home after he was supposed to be done with his shift and went to the store. Uh, Byron Nasbitt's mother, or okay, I'm sorry, Courtney, a lot of them go by their middle names. So Courtney Nasbitt is actually Byron Courtney Nasbitt. Okay. um, I thought I just because he goes by Courtney so I thought I got rid of that but I didn't apparently um, so Courtney Nasbitt's mother Carol Peterson Nasbitt also went to the shop later that evening looking for her son because she saw his car parked outside uh, and he was late getting home so both Oren and Carol were taken hostage and tied up in the basement as well so now they have five people held hostage in the basement uh, one of the men told the other to get something from their van. The man returned with a bottle in a brown paper bag from which they poured a cup of blue liquid. Okay. Uh, the, men, the man who seemed to be the leader ordered Oren Walker to give the liquid to the other hostages, but he refused. So then he was bound and gagged and left face down on the basement floor. Okay. The men then like propped each of the victims into a sitting position and forced them to drink the liquid, telling them it was vodka laced with sleeping pills. However, it was Drano. Uh, The Drano immediately caused blisters on the victims' lips and began burning their tongues and throats and peeled away the flesh of their mouths. Oh my God. Yes. So Michelle Ansley, who was still begging for her life, was forced to drink the Drano cleaner. And although she was, um, the, then the men tried, because she was like screaming, the men tried to duct tape their mouths to hold the quantities of drain cleaner in 
uh, but the oozing blisters prevented the adhesive from sticking. Oh my gosh. You're right. You're real detailed in the description of I, what's happening. I feel like it's an I I it's an important part of the story to know what these people went through. Like it's fucking right, how grisly it was. Um especially when we get into the the rest of it. So hey. Oren Walker was the last to be given the drain cleaner, but because he saw what happened to the other hostages, he allowed it to pour out of his mouth and then mimic the convulsions and screams of the fellow hostages. So he saw what was going on and was able to like pretend that it was taking an effect, but he was able to get most of it out of his mouth. Okay. Um, The man who seemed to be the leader became angry because the deaths were taking too long and were too loud and messy. So he shot both Carol and Courtney Nesbitt in the backs of their head. Then he shot Oren Walker, but missed. And then he shot his son, Stanley, before again shooting Oren, this time grazing the back of his head. Okay. He then took Michelle Ansley to the far corner of the basement, forced her at gunpoint to remove her clothes, and then repeatedly and brutally raped her. After telling the other man to clear out for 30 minutes. Uh, When he was done, he allowed her to use the bathroom while he watched, then dragged her, still naked, back to the other hostages, threw her on her face, and fatally shot her in the back of the head. Oh my god, okay. Uh, According to... Oren's testimony, who did end up surviving, her last words were, I'm too young to die. That's so sad. Yeah. Uh, The men saw that Oren was still alive, so the leader mounted him, wrapped a wire around his throat, and tried to strangle him. And then they, when that failed, they inserted a ballpoint pen into his ear and stomped on it until it punctured his eardrum and exited the side of his throat. Oh my gosh. I hate everything about this. That's the... (laughs) Uh, Oh my god. Okay, so that's the last of the graphic details, guys. Okay. Really just jumped right into them, huh? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sorry about that. That's not funny. I I can't help it. I'm so uncomfortable. (laughs) Me too. Uh, (laughs) The men then went upstairs finished loading equipment into their van and departed so the bodies were discovered almost three hours later when Oren walker's wife and stanley walker's mother and their other son came to the store looking for them Oren's son heard noises coming from the basement and broke down the back door while mrs walker called the police stanley walker and michelle ansley were dead at the scene carol nasbitt was taken by ambulance to St. Benedict's Hospital, but was pronounced dead on arrival. Uh, Courtney, although not expected to live, survived with severe and irreparable brain damage. He was hospitalized for 266 days before being released. Oh, wow. And Oren Walker also survived with extensive burns to his mouth and chin, as well as the damage to his ears caused by the pen. He survived? Yes. It penetrated his, like... Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, hours after the news of the crime broke, uh, an anonymous Air Force employee called Ogden Police and told them that another enlisted United States Air Force ma- airman, William Andrews, had confided to him months earlier that one of these days, I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in the way, I'm going to kill them. Well, that's a damning confession right there. Yes. So then hours later, two teenage boys dumpster diving near the Hill Air Force Base where Andrews was stationed contacted the police after discovering the victim's wallets and purses and recognizing their pictures from the driver's license. Okay. Uh, the detective who responded to the scene is actually praised for the way he handled this because it basically broke the case open. So believing the killers might be in the crowd and having the tip about Andrews, um, he put on a show for the gathered airmen. He spoke very dramatically, waved each piece of evidence in the air as he removed it from the dumpster, uh, and he noted that most of the service personnel who gathered around the dumpster stood still and watched in relative silence, with the exception of two men, later identified as Dale Selby Pierre and William Andrews. (sighs) Okay. Who both paced around the crowd, speaking loudly and making frantic gestures with their hands. The detective later received an award from the Utah branch of the Justice Department for his use of those techniques. 
based on the two men's reactions to the evidence being removed from the trash bin and the officer's implication of Andrews, Andrews Pierre and another airman named Keith Roberts were arrested. Okay. After a search warrant was issued for their barracks, police found flyers for the hi-fi shop, a rental contract for a unit at a public storage facility. And then following the issuance of another search warrant, they found stereo equipment taken from the hi-fi shop that was identified via serial numbers and was recovered from the storage unit and was also recovered a half empty bottle of Drano. Okay. So with the collection of evidence, Pierre and Andrews were charged with first degree murder and aggravated robbery. Uh, Keith Roberts was believed to have waited outside the hi-fi shop in a getaway vehicle. And he actually was believed and they didn't think he knew anything about like what was going on in the shop. He thought they were just robbing it. Oh, Okay. So he was charged with armed robbery. He wasn't okay. aware that they were killing these people. Right. Like that what they went on. in there and right. brutally like tortured. Not just, and, not just killed. Yeah. Just tortured, tortured and, and murdered them. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. So these three men were African-American. Okay. Uh, and the official police report stated that they believe six African-American men were driving two vans co- to commit the robbery. Uh, and Roberts and another man remained in the car. So they actually think that, like, a gang did this. Of oh, okay. Men. Like, it was an initiation, almost? No, not like a gang. Just, like, a group of men. Oh, okay. Um, but they were only able to confirm Pierre, Roberts, and Keith. Or, and Andrews. Oh, so that's why they say. Yeah, they believe least. it at least two men, but they think it was more. Okay. I think part of it is because they are not sure how they were able to subdue five people between right. the two of them um but they there was no evidence to convict anyone else it was just those three men right okay so um i said that so they believed that they also believed that andrews was the brains behind the whole deal the one who organized it but pierre was the enforcer and so he was the mm. what they described as the leader once okay. they were in there uh, he did the shooting, and he is also the one who raped Michelle Ansley. Okay. Uh, so Pierre was 21 years old at the time of the crime. He was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago and moved to Brooklyn, New York at the age of 17. In May of 73, he entered active service in the United States Air Force, and in September of 1973 was transferred to Hill Air Force Base as a helicopter mechanic. Almost on arrival, he became a prime suspect in another murder, Um, that of Edward Jefferson, who was an Air Force sergeant at Hill Air Force Base. And although police, they lacked enough evidence to file charges at the the time of the hi-fi murders, he was out on bail for car theft from a Salt Lake City car dealer. Oh, wow. Okay, so he's got some stuff. Yes. Uh, William Andrews was born in Virginia of 1953 and was 19 years old at the time of the crime. Uh, he was basically had a basically normal childhood uh, by all accounts as uh, he was a well-behaved child he joined the air force in 1973 and was also assigned to hill air force base as a mechanic for helicopters uh, it's believed that they became friends and they it was actually kind of odd that they were friends um, none of the other air force men wanted to be friends with pierre they didn't like him they thought mm. he was kind of a. they got the heebie-jeebies from him they he had uh attitude um rage issues and was very sullen and on the other hand andrews had a ton of friends um and but they kind of put their distance between them when he became closer to pierre okay so in march of 1974 they both filed for separation from the air force and it seemed that andrews was basically a follow and pierre was kind of his right leader right so uh the joint trial of pierre andrews and roberts for first degree murder and robbery began on october 15th 1974 in farmington in they moved it to a neighboring county obviously to try and right jury pool Mm -hmm. during the trial it was revealed that pierre and andrews had robbed the store with the intention of killing anyone they came across and in the months prior to the robbery they had been looking for a way to commit the murders quietly and cleanly the two that repeatedly watched the film magnum force in which a prostitute played by margaret avery is forced to drink drano and then is slowly she is shown immediately dropping dead 
So they decided that that would be an efficient method of murder. You mean the movie wasn't exactly correct? What? The movie didn't show the immediate blisters and screaming agony that they would be Mm -hmm. in. And, oh, oh, okay. So um, survivor Orrin Walker was considered the star witness for the prosecution. um, But due to his amnesia, Courtney Nesbitt uh, was unable to testify but his father did testify just on his behalf, um, okay. basically kind of with what his son suffered. Uh, so on November of ni- November 16th, 1974, he was, Pierre was convicted of three counts of first degree murder and two counts of aggravated robbery for the hi-fi crimes. And on November 20th, he was given three, de- three death sentences, one for each of the murder victims. Okay, good. Andrews was convicted on the same days. He was also convicted of three counts of first degree murder and two counts of aggravated robbery. And he was also given death convictions. Um, However, Andrew's death conviction was considered especially controversial because he did not directly kill any of the victims. Oh, okay. Pierre did all the killing. He shot everybody. He raped and shot Michelle Ansley. He did all this violent. Yeah, he was kind of like the other body there. To control the situation rather than actually right. doing the physical act. Okay. Um, he did admit to forcefully administering Drano down their throats, but he didn't actually kill any of them. Uh, he was also given three death sentences, one for each of the murder victims. Um, following the handing down of the death sentences to the defendants, the NAACP and Amnesty International campaign to com- they campaigned to commute Pierre and Andrew's death sentences to life in prison. Um, they demanded that Pierre and Andrew's death sentences should be revoked because of racial biases at the trial, um, which it's not wrong. So the defendants were both black and the victims and the jury were all white. Right. So there wasn't any sort of a mixture of races in the jury. No. Okay. Uh, I'm not excusing what they did, but they're not wrong. Um the sole black member of the jury pool was actually stricken preemptively by the prosecution during jury selection. Uh, but it was later revealed that the juror was dismissed because he was a law enforcement officer who personally knew just about everyone tied to the case. Oh, so yeah, he wouldn't have been able to be there anyway. Right. Um, so it's just kind of a, it's a back and forth as to whether or not it was racially motivated that they didn't get a fair trial. Right. Um, he claimed in the interview with USDA today, he claimed that he had never intended... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I skipped. Um, Andrews also accused the judicial system of racism. Um, in an interview with USA Today, he claimed that he had never intended to kill anyone, but Andrews also had previously admitted to being the one who purchased the drain cleaner and brought it to the store on the night of the killings. Yeah, and isn't he the one who said that someday he's going to rob that? Who was that? Yeah, yeah. that's he's going to rob it and kill anybody in his way. So that is... Yeah. That so is that's... planning that. So, sorry. So, while in prison... Pissing? <laughs> while pissing. <laughs> I'm having a really hard time with P words today. <laughs> um, so, while in prison, Pierre and Andrews became notoriously hated prisoners at Utah State Prison and were particularly reviled on death row. Um, In 1977, convicted murderer Gary Gilmore, which uh, was reported to have said, I'll see you in hell, Pierre and Andrews, as his last, uh, as he passed their cells on the way to his execution by firing squad. Oh, shit, son. Which is kind of funny. So Gary Gilmore was actually convicted of basically the same crime. He went into a convenience store to rob it and killed two kids that were working there in cold blood um and kind of did a little torturing before he killed them like kind of tormented them before he killed them um and he actually petitioned for his death penalty and to have the death penalty put back into place um because he wanted to die i guess so he was killed by firing squad and they also reported that his parting words um, like his last words before execution were adios pierre and andrews i'll be seeing you directly so i wonder if is it the sexual aspect that he had such a 
I'm not really sure it was just right that such he, an issue with or maybe he just doesn't like them maybe they just yeah. didn't get along you know what I mean yeah maybe that could be a thing mm-hmm. obviously enough to make him think about it right before he's about to die <laughs> I know right <laughs> of all things I'm like this guy this guy I'll fucking see you in hell <laughs> right uh so while in prison Pierre changed his name 27 times seems excessive he it was reported to protect his family from the notoriety um also as soon as it came out yeah okay uh finally settling on dale pierre selby um he was transposing his first middle and last names from his birth basically but he did it a bunch of times um after exhausting his appeals he was executed by lethal injection on august 28th 1987 uh, at the age of 34 at the time of his death, he bequeathed all of his money, $29, oh, shit. to Andrews. Um, the Desert News reported that he said to no one in particular moments before his execution that I'll be glad when this is over. Oh. So after Pierre's execution, there was a petition filed for a stay of Andrews' execution, um, and it was submitted to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. Uh, they alleged that a handwritten note um, had been found in the jury area during a recess that stated, hang the N-word. I'm not going to say it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and that it was brought to the judge's attention, but he had refused a request for a mistrial and a right to question jurors concerning the note. So this uh, is so this is why that racial thing comes up even more. Because right. it's clearly an issue. Okay. So despite those appeals, the death sentence was, was upheld. Is Andrews the follower? Yes. I keep he's mixing the one him who, up in my head. Yeah, he's the I one who bought the should... Drano and said he would kill anyone in his way. And then, but Pierre is the one who did all the killing. Yeah. Uh, see, that's, I'm kind of on the fence with death row for someone who didn't physically kill anybody. Right. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, he fed him the Bedrano. There was intent there to yeah. kill them because they watched the movie. And you know, I go back and forth between the right to fair trial and you fucking tortured and tried to murder five people in cold blood and right. allowed someone to be raped and then shot in the head. Well, and it's just like... <laughs> I go back and forth. It's just like that, like, attempted murder stuff. Right. It's like, just because you didn't actually because you're get bad to the at end it result... Doesn't mean you shouldn't be punished for attempting it right doesn't mean you should get a lighter sentence it means you still tried to kill somebody they just didn't happen to die right oh god okay so when asked if he had any oh oh little yawn there huh? where yawn come from <laughs> <laughs> so when asked if he had any final words andrews responded thank those who tried to say so hard to keep me alive i hope they continue to fight for equal justice after i'm gone tell my family goodbye and i love them he was executed by lethal injection on July 30th of 1992 uh, after 18 years on death row. So four years later on December, in December of 96, the mm-hmm. Inter-American Commission found that the United States had violated its international obligations to by denying William Andrews a trial free from racial discrimination. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd have to agree I mean, with that true. at least. Yeah. Yeah. So in regards to Keith Roberts, the court found that Keith Roberts, then who was 19, had no role or knowledge in the murders. He was, however, convicted of two counts of aggravated robbery and was sentenced to five years to life. Uh, Roberts was paroled on May 12th of 87 after nearly 13 years in prison, and he died in August of 92. Oh. So. Does, does Do you know why or how? No, it didn't say. Okay. Um, and then just, uh, I'm just going to end this with a couple of notes on the victims that I found kind of sad, but also intriguing. So, so, um, Michelle Ansley was 18, uh, and she had been an employee for only a week at the hi-fi shop. Oh my gosh. And she was actually recently engaged and planned to be married on August 5th of 1974. Um, Byron Courtney Nesbitt um, was 16, and although he survived his injuries, he suffered from amnesia and was unable to testify at the trial. 
He was able to return to school more than a year after the incident, and he graduated with his class at the high school in, 90, in 1976. But due to brain damage from his head wound, he was forced to drop out of college. And because he could not hold down a job, he basically lived off Social Security assistance. Um, he, was a, he did marry uh, in November of 1985. Um, he suffered from chronic pain for the rest of his life and died on June 4th of 2002 at age 44. Okay. Um, Warren William Walker, the other survivor uh, and was the father of the victim, Stanley Walker, uh, he survived the attack. He testified against the trial and the perpetrator, perpetrators and he died on February 13th of 2000 at age 69. So there's Is he the one with the ballpoint pen? Yes. Okay. And that is the case of the High Five Murders. Wow. Yeah, I I mean I'm I glad definitely glad that's out of my head. <laughs> right. I definitely have heard of it, but I did not know all the details in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's wow. fucked up. Very uh I don't even know what to say about it. Sorry for bringing it down, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a little like uh, right of... now. I feel like their death. Okay, I feel like their death sentences were carried out pretty fucking fast in comparison to what they are. Like, yeah, well, Andrew's from then on, 80, 18 years. So I mean, yeah, but I mean, there's people that were imprisoned in the eighties that are still on death row, and it's been like 30, 40 years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, regardless of like your feelings on death row i just think it's weird that if someone's sentenced to death and then they have to sit in prison for like 30 just do years. it yeah like after your well, appeals are done just schedule yeah, that shit after it's go after it's a for sure thing like they can't do more i'm sure it's just because they don't want any sort of they want it to be for sure so if there's right. any other evidence that comes out that happens to maybe point in a different direction they want to they don't want to like be like oops well, that was a mistake, yeah. huh? No, what me, my, I'm, and then there have been cases of that where it's like, oh, a lot. We, which, we made a mistake, huh? Which I think is why it takes so long now. Right. Because before it was like within like a year and a half, they, two years, they'd be like, okay, your appeals are done. Bye. Yeah. Like the next week, they'd be heading towards the chair. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I go back and forth on my like thoughts on the death penalty because there's some times where I'm just like, sometimes you just need to kill someone <laughs> like I sometimes just the world would just be better without them but at other times then I'm like is that really our decision to make you know so right I, I, any- I with what is it with I was I keep wanting to say wiffle waffle and that's not flip-flop maybe that's what it is wiffle waffle that's not a thing <laughs> wibble wobble wibble wobble that's also a thing that could be it but i don't think it is <laughs> i don't i think i was going for wibble wobble but i i kept wanting to say wiffle waffle and that neither of those things make sense so i'm just gonna stop talking <laughs> but yeah no i agree because it's like sometimes you look at a person and they're like you know what for what you did you do deserve not to live anymore mm-hmm. but then at the same time it's like are you any better than that person when you decide their fate for them right like you murder a small child, you deserve to die in the way that you murdered that small child. But then, is that really my decision to make? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> that's when you call out and you're like, God, smite him down. If he smite is him, to- almighty smite her. What if that was like a thing? <laughs> like they just had, it was like the old Grecian uh, fucking like open, Zeus yeah. Yep, and you'd be like, smite him! And then the lightning comes down and and it's like okay so it was the right decision like where this is right we're good we're good we're good um but yeah good story good job oh thank you lots of details my bladder's gonna pop you got huh? yeah i do um but i think everybody can appreciate the importance of understanding I think I there's how bad it I, was. There's times when I like don't put all the details in, but sometimes I feel like that's cheapening the what the victims went through, like to uh-huh. take it out and just make it so much about like the killers themselves. Like, well, they did people actually lived through that. Like a guy lived with having a 
ballpoint pen kicked into his ear. Like, why? What is that senseless? Mm -hmm. What is the you're a monster you know right and between that and like I feel like it's it's just like the like rape thing when people Mm -hmm. say sexually assault instead of rape no you were raped like that's because there's so much like power behind that word people don't like using it but I know I I think it's a very sexually assault no she's fucking raped like that's right it's it's a very real and terrifying thing and I feel like watering it down and making it sound not as bad isn't helpful you know right but agreed but yeah good story good job oh thank you go pee okay I will I'll catch you in a couple minutes there Brasif so I'm gonna tell you about the murder of Wendy Sewell okay ever heard of her name ever no okay So, Wendy Sewell was 32 years old in September of 1973. Okay. So, we're, like, kind of in the same time frame, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. I always think that's cool. Always. We happen to to just have the same decade. Decade. We do it all the time. I know. It's weird. Um, So, she lived in Derbyshire, England with her husband. Um, So, she was married and worked in a town that was like neighboring where she lived as a typist so she didn't work in the town that she lived in mm-hmm. um in sep- or on september 12th of 1973 she went to work at lunch she told her coworker that she wanted to get some fresh air and so she left to go take a walk during her lunch break okay okay uh at about 12:50 multiple witnesses saw her enter the bagwell cemetery cemetery which is where she worked bagwell Um, that's the neighboring town about 25 minutes after this Stephen Downing a 17 year old caretaker of the cemetery Mm -hmm. uh, found Wendy lying on a path in the cemetery partially dressed and she was bleeding from her head and unconscious at the time oh no so Stephen knelt down I just like punched this (laughs) knelt down and tried to like revive her to get her up to see if she was like okay like maybe she just needed you know whatever Mm -hmm. so steven is they said that he had learning disabilities was a little bit behind and stuff so he was a little immature for his age anyway but anyway so that'll play in later but so anyway so he kneels down and he tries to revive her and when she wouldn't wake up for him or get up for him he got up and ran and found some people and they found a phone and called the police because it was 73 so they didn't have like cell phones to just call um when the police got there they didn't call the medical emergency services right away because Sewell actually like once they got there they were able to get her up on her feet and she seemed like she'd be able to get in one of their cars and they'd just drive her there it wasn't Mm -hmm. like she needed to be on a stretcher or anything but then she started like chippy topping a severe brain injury oh very much so and fell over and slammed her head on a gravestone like <gasps> yeah double damage so oh. that so then they called the emergency because they were like yeah this is not okay do you know that's how Liam Neeson's wife died really she went uh skiing and she fell and she got up and she was fine and she said she had a bit of a headache but they checked her for a concussion they said she didn't have a concussion um she went back to the hotel room it was like six hours later and she started acting weird like she couldn't stand up she had no balance she felt weird they got her to the hospital and she fell into a coma and she had a severe brain bleed and it took weird. that it took that long for the brain bleed to like show show and like give her any symptoms and then she was like put on life support and then he had to take her off life support and she died see and that's what like when i read this it was like they got her up on her feet and she was walking and she didn't seem super sturdy but she seemed like she was getting up like oh you know maybe she split her head open type of thing like brain injuries are fucking weird yeah so but then like all of a sudden she just went like a tree Mm -hmm. and slammed her head on a gravestone oh head injuries i hate them i hate i know um so when she fell uh they called the emergency medical obviously to come and get her with an ambulance uh, police concluded that she had been hit 
by the handle of a pickaxe at least eight times in the head. Uh, so obviously they hadn't had like a medical examiner yet, but this was like on arrival. They could tell mm-hmm. with the damage. They found the pickaxe handle when they investigated after they got her taken care of. Yeah. They found that in the same area. Um, so anyway, so she, there it is. Uh, it was determined that at the hospital that it seemed she had been raped. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen, the caretaker, was obviously brought in for questioning since he was the one who found her. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, he had blood on him, but he, again, it's because he knelt down and tried to revive, revive her. And so Stephen, who was 17, had learning disabilities, like I said. And at 17, he had the reading level of an 11-year-old. And then I put dot, 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 kind of like me. Ha, ha, ha. This is how I do my research. I'm like, ah. I'm to write my jokes in. <laughs> yeah, this is funny. Uh, so he was questioned for nine straight fucking hours. Straight hours, no breaks. I've never been in this situation, but I have a feeling just based on my personality that after like hour three, I'd start copping a tutor. I'd refuse to talk. Like- yeah, I would just stop talking. <laughs> like- I'd be like... You cannot have that many questions to fucking ask me that it takes nine hours. I'm sitting, I'm going to pull a younger sibling and I'm just going to stop talking. Well, and the worst part about it is like, he's 17. Mm -hmm. He did not get a guardian. He did not get a lawyer. He's Mm -hmm. not supposed to be calling those shots at 17. No. There's supposed to be a guardian or a lawyer present. This reminds me a lot of making a murderer. Yeah. Brendan Dassey questioning where they were like, had him in there for hours and hours and hours. And it was literally like, well, this is actually, this is kind of what happened, right? Like it could have happened like this. Like it was very, I didn't watch that. I probably should watch that too. You should. There's so many things you should watch. Stupid what the fuck ass. are you doing, Nielsen? I've had, you have a true crime podcast for almost two years now and you haven't watched half of the fucking documentaries. I'm more on of a anything. reader and researcher than I am a watcher. See, and like for me, I learn so much better by seeing things and hearing things. You know how I am about reading. I'll read anything. You give me a shampoo bottle when I'm taking a poop and I'll read the whole back of it. (laughs) I will, I will read for an hour straight and then I'll go, I don't know what I just fucking read. (laughs) You don't have a good reading retention. You can read just fine. You just don't retain the information you read. This is, this is a thing. That's, I mean, this is also why. During all those reading tests, I had to sit in the back table with the teacher to read it out loud to me because I would read it and then I'd just do this. Because then they'd read it out loud and I'd be like, oh yeah, this, 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 and this. Like, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so <laughs> that was a weird tangent for the no reading thing. Sorry, guys. Uh, so he had no lawyer or guardian with him. Steven's father even came to the station when he heard about what happened and they refused to let him in. You can't, hey. You can't do that. Yeah, I don't know He's what. A minor, motherfucker. Not like a minor, but like a minor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and there's so many <laughs> things with this that kind of point towards possible like corruption and stuff. They just wanted um, to close the case as soon as possible. Exactly. Exactly. And like, we'll get to it. I'm not going to get too into it before I get there because then it's going to jumble the whole story we'll get to Um, it because I don't want to get into it before I get into it you know what I mean you know what I mean I'm just going to get into it when I get into it because if I get into it before I get into it it's not going to be worth getting into it later you know (laughs) it's weird that I knew exactly like I understood that exactly what you were saying as opposed to probably half of the people listening that have no fucking clue what you just they're probably like what the fuck is happening right now uh so after this nine straight hours of questioning, 17-year-old Stephen, um, the police say that he confessed to the attack and oh, that he signed a written confession. Mm. Uh, soon after this, though, he recanted his confession and said that he hadn't attacked Wendy. He just didn't know how else to get out of the room mm-hmm. than just saying, I didn't do it. I did, whatever, I did it, whatever. You know, like, just push it push it push it and that's like so again with the brendan dassey thing they fucking told him like the only way you're gonna you know 
get out of here. You just, is it accidents happen? You know, accidents happen. And they have him like confess this fucking murder. And then he goes to jail for how long? Just Mm -hmm. because he wasn't quite mentally competent to understand that when you confess to a murder, you're not leaving the fucking room to go home. You're leaving the room to go to jail. Mm -hmm. Like, it just drives me crazy. Anyway, (laughs) so Stephen says that after, when he went on his lunch break, he had gone home to feed his two hedgehogs that he was (laughs) nursing to health because he found two baby hedgehogs. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. Isn't that adorable? So he went home to feed them and check on them. Uh, And while he was home, he talked to his mother, who confirmed his alibi that he was home pretty much his entire lunch break and then walked back to the cemetery afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, He then said that once he returned to work, that's when he found Wendy lying on the ground and he leaned down beside her to revive her. And that's, oh, I don't, that, that's just saying the same fucking thing. I started reading my next sentence. It's literally the same sentence in different yeah. words. Um, so Wendy never woke up from this. She was officially dead after two days of being in the hospital on um, support and being treated as well as they can to, right. with the brain injury. Stephen was then charged with murder. For only The only thing they have is that he was there. Like, that's the only thing they have is that he came upon her. Um, And six months later, he went to trial. And the only evidence against him that they had was that there was a tiny bit of blood on his clothes from him leaning over her. And the confession in which he recanted. So the jury found him guilty because... I don't know. They're dumb. I don't know. (laughs) Found him guilty and he was sentenced to a minimum of 17 years in prison. Minimum. Eligible for parole in 1990 as of when he was Mm -hmm. given a sentence. So in order to be granted release on parole, Stephen had to take responsibility for his actions and for the crime and show remorse. But Stephen refused to admit that he had killed Wendy because he's like, I didn't do it, and I refused to do it, and so he wasn't released in 19, in 1990, obviously, Mm -hmm. and by 1994, he was still in prison, because he refused to say that he did it, and he wasn't taking responsibility for his actions, and showing remorse, right, Um, so in March of 1994, his parents contacted Don Hale, okay, so Don Hale is a newspaper editor for Matlock Mercury, which is a big newspaper there. At least it was. I don't know if it is now. Mm-hmm. And they reached out to him and asked if he'd look into Stephen's case because he felt like nobody, they, the parents felt like nobody that actually knew how to investigate was taking the time to find different things in order to find the, the right person, you know? Right. So Stephen's parents were sure that the people in Bagwell knew who had actually committed the crime they felt like there was hush hush rumors on who had done it and whatnot and they knew that it wasn't steven but they also wanted a scapegoat mm-hmm. um so they think that the whole town well not the whole town but a good amount of people that are highfalutins in the town were framing his son how did I know you want to say that because it's so fun to say so when they started looking into the case like when this Don Hale guy did he instantly saw huge issues that shouldn't should have been in that trial that he went to mm-hmm. um he felt that Stephen's parents were right and that he was innocent and that there was a bigger scheme surrounding this yeah So first he found that Wendy was having several affairs with men in Bagwell, which was never brought up in the trial. Mm -hmm. Um, Some being um, prominent businessmen, um, affluent, if you will. Affluent. Uh, But that basically ran the town. And it also was looking like she may have been blackmailing these men in order to make money. Which... When I first was reading this, I was like, okay, let's not victim blame, but also it plays into it because Stephen doesn't have a motive to do it. Mm-hmm. Other people do. And the fact right. that they didn't bring it up is like very questionable. So 
anywho, so she also was blackmailing these guys. And so there's definitely people who would, may seek revenge, which were not Stephen. Throughout his life, Stephen had never thrown any sort of, shown any sort of violent tendencies. He never had outbursts. He never threw tantrums, even as a kid. Mm-hmm. His mom and dad were just like, he's just a really docile child. Like he's never had any issues with anything. So it's really weird that he would like all of a sudden just snap and do something so brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes no sense that he would beat a complete stranger to death in the place that he works. Right. Right. That's that like, not- that's no. So uh, there was also more witnesses that were not questioned like they found this one angle and that's all they went for so anything that didn't lead to that angle they didn't even take it into account um so there's other witnesses two witnesses said that they saw a man running from the cemetery shortly um before steven had found wendy okay Mm -hmm. so time timeline wise that would make sense that he's running from something Another said that he had seen a couple of men outside of a van outside of the cemetery, kind of looking, looking weird. Like they live near the cemetery and he's like, they were just really out of place, just standing there waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, so they thought that was suspicious, suspicious enough that don't be suspicious. Don't, don't, be, <laughs> don't get suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Um, so it was weird enough that this person wrote down the license plate number on the back of their cigarette box that they had on them. Cause they were like, I have nothing else to write on. Mm-hmm. And they brought it to the police and they said, so I saw this after they saw that there was a body mm-hmm. found or a person found attacked. And the police literally just were like, no, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's not, not what it, it has nothing to do with the case basically. Mm-hmm. Um, for two decades, the wimp, the woman kept that empty pack of cigarettes to keep that number of the license plate because she was like, nope, this is not right. Something was weird here. And I don't care if you say it doesn't make sense or it doesn't mean anything. I'm keeping it. So she showed Hale when he found out about her, went went to her and she showed Hale and he looked the number up and it belonged to a man that Wendy was actually planning to meet that day. Oh, shit. Um, So, dots are connecting. While investigating, Hale was publishing random articles about the, trying to give a little, get a little bit of publicity to this case that seems to be trying to get swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. Um, So, he's publishing articles about, like, findings, updates on the different things he's finding, which obviously wasn't going over well with law enforcement or whatever but he's just like nobody else is doing anything and this kid is in fucking prison for now 20 something years you know so anyway she said that oh said she was in the cemetery around the time of the attack and she also said that she saw steven leave the cemetery to go home and saw Wendy enter the cemetery. So they weren't there at the same time. The same woman that saw that van. Mm-hmm. She said that Wendy was with a man and they were embracing in the cemetery. Um, the woman knew the man and he was one of those prominent businessmen that, and the one that belonged to that vehicle number. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a couple minutes later, she had not left the cemetery but they were out of eyesight like she was on her way out and she did hear a scream but she assumed that it was just somebody playing around because nobody instantly goes to somebody's like, oh, someone's murdered. getting killed you unless know? you're us right uh yeah so okay so i was at work and i've been opening and i drove up and a like working van came into the parking lot and parked like it was like 10 minutes before we were supposed to open so i was just like doing my stuff in my car and I'm like turns out it was just the guy to do the fire safety checks because they wanted to (laughs) yeah they wanted to do it before kids were there since it like basically was cleaning out the water things for the connections and like turning on the alarms and checking those and stuff but I was like what are you here to fix and he goes oh I just got to do this this and this and there's going to be water coming out of this pipe specifically next to the door that Mm -hmm. you know they wanted to just get it done before kids and then there's one in the back right in the playground so they wanted to get it done before kids had to go play on the playground or whatever I'm like 
okay makes sense okay Whew. i was like what the fuck i believe you but stay away from me right i believe you but also <sighs> um anyway back to the story uh the police claimed that steven had attacked wendy uh leaving to okay before leaving to feed the hedgehogs so they think that he snuck all this all this stuff all in this one little thing that mm-hmm. he attacked wendy ran home fed the hedgehogs talked to his mother but the timeline it makes no sense there wasn't right. enough time between. and then came back and tried to revive her and call the police exactly so yeah just dumb and to go along with that how did he have time to do all of this and talk to his mom for the amount of time that she said he was there talking to her right so there's also that like another person saw it knew the times because she had things she was doing as well so she was paying attention to the clock Mm -hmm. so there were more people um that also had like simple sightings that didn't align with what the police were saying was happening seeing people in and out of the cemetery um for Basically, example, the police Stephen just Walking. ignored any evidence that yeah. didn't say Stephen did it. Exactly. That's, I mean, everything that didn't point to it, they're like, oh, no, it has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. So some of these witnesses even said that they had gone to the police officers and told them about it and they seemed disinterested. So more of that, like coming to them with information and they're just like, it, it doesn't matter. It's not important. Mm-hmm. Stupid. And they were God actually some of them jackasses. Well, and some of them even said that they were like told to leave, like they were rude and mm-hmm. short with them. Like, you know, someone died. We're just trying to like give you trying all the to information. Help a bitch had. out, just right? Help a bitch out. So when Hale looked at the evidence that was against Stephen, there was blood on his clothes, but it wasn't much, and it was literally just like smearing, which wasn't concurrent with what the police said happened um because if he was beating be someone splatter. in the head yeah um so there would also have been more blood specifically on his gloves because he had his worker gloves yeah and so he's like there'd be blood on there and there were no there was no blood on his gloves because he took them off um and it, if he wasn't wearing his gloves there should be fingerprints on the pickaxe handle that he supposedly beat her with and there was no fingerprints that matched him on that pickaxe handle. Right. So, so basically there was really no evidence to point towards. Yeah, him. none. None whatsoever. Not uh, even circumstantial. Exactly. And then there was like the confession. It contained several terms and words that Stephen didn't even understand. Like when they're reading it back, you like have to ask them what that meant. And so obviously he didn't say it to be dictated by somebody and written down. Mm-hmm. They wrote it for him and just told him to sign it. Right. Which just piss it just pisses me off. I'm like, you can't do that either. So Hale began being threatened while investigating this again because the people up top were not happy with it because I think they were trying to kind of if it wasn't the businessmen, it was like just because it was people that were in like the city government and stuff too you know what i mean right um so he was getting threatening phone calls and they basically call and be like need to stop looking at the case it's not going to end well for you and all that fun stuff um and two different occasions on two different occasions cars tried to hit him when he was walking like on the sidewalk they'd like veer onto the sidewalk um and you can't do that i know (laughs) and then there was once he said that a large truck tried running him off the road, like ramming him, not ramming him, but like pushing him off the road with the side of their truck while he was driving. And then like just a bunch of weird shit started happening where he was like, this is, hasn't happened to me ever until I started looking into this or something's got to be connecting here. Right. So, but he forged on and he campaigned for Stephen's release. Like, he was like, this is not right. He needs to be released. He's clearly innocent, whatever. So, there was a petition that was circulated to get Stephen out of prison. And, like, 3,500 people signed it from this, this like, 8,000-person town. Like, it's not a huge town. It was Mm -hmm. decently small at the time. 
in 2001, there was an appeal filed that Stevens' conviction should be overturned. And then February 2001, a judge decided he needed to be released. So he got released in 2001. This was 27 years after he was imprisoned. Um, 10 years longer. So all I can do is just release air pressure. Just. I know it's just so annoying. And it's 10 years more than even the like minimum sentence that they said he could have because right. he refused to say he did it since he didn't do it. So they just left him in there. Yep. Um, so in January of 2002, Stephen's conviction was officially overturned and his imprisonment was considered the longest standing miscarriage of justice in the British legal system they've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Hale was awarded by the British Empire for his work on the case, and he published a book called Town Without Pity, and it was a bestseller for quite a while. Um, so the question remains, though, if Stephen didn't kill Wendy, who did? Right. Like she clearly, it was a murder. And when I started reading this, I totally forgot what I was even like the original story that I looked into was. But if it's probably one of those highfalutin dudes. That's well, that's what I'm thinking. It's got to be the highfalutin dudes. No, he did say that this man, though, that he believes it is, is a prominent person in Bagwell. Um, he believes that he had two associates who helped him cover it up. Hence, the people Obviously. outside the van. Yeah. Um, he also believes that Wendy's murder may have been connected to two other homicides that happened three years before her murder. Um, oh. March, yeah, March 28th of 1970, 18-year-old Jackie Ansel Lamb was hitchhiking in North London, and she was heading northern to Manchester, which was about 200 miles away, so she was, like, trying to hitchhike there because she couldn't mm-hmm. have a vehicle. Um, then six days later, her body was found face down in a field outside of Manchester. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. Her body was only 44 miles away from Bagwell. Um, when, then seven months after that, October 12th of 1970, Barbara Mayo, who was 24 years old, was also hitchhiking in North London. And she was trying to get to Catterick, which was even further north than Manchester, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, And six days later, her body was found in a woods outside of a small village only 20 miles away from Bagwell. And she was also assaulted and strangled. So to me, I don't feel like there's much of a connection, but um, it is a common belief that the two women who were killed were killed by the same person because they basically are the same crime. Mm -hmm. They both had been sexually assaulted, dumped in a isolated area, face down, were hitchhiking in the same place, all that fun stuff. Don Hale believes that their murders may be connected to what happened to Wendy because physically Wendy and Barbara look very similar, which they do. It's kind of weird. They look almost like the same person, like their nose is just different. Everything else is pretty much the same. Weird. Um, and since the vicinity of the bodies were relatively close to Bagwell, it would make a little bit of sense. And five men from Bagwell were questioned in Barbara Mayo's murder. Mm-hmm. one of which was connected to Wendy, one of the associates, and one of the associates of the prominent man that he believes did all this was um, questioned in Barbara's killing as well. So two of the five guys that were questioned were associated to Barbara and this man that he thinks that all this stuff leads to is. Okay. Um, so it, that's his connection. Do I think it's necessarily connected? Not necessarily, but because they're so different in MOs. Mm-hmm. but whatever I mean there's some kind of connection there at least there is a sample of Barbara's killer's DNA but there has not been a match found um honestly at this point unless someone was to step forward from everything I read everybody kind of feels that this is gonna stay cold and right probably unless they be. do like a familial DNA match or something exactly so unless something just happens to match something the it's probably gonna stay unsolved and but unsolved but solved because I feel like everybody kind of knows who did it but they just don't want to say who did it they don't want to say and there's not quite enough physical evidence to point towards this person in order to like actually mm-hmm. go after them and it was a so whole the person just basically got away with murder and another yep. person got punished for it awesome I love those stories yeah they're the best doesn't piss me off at all mm-hmm. 
I'm so glad yeah. we could enjoy or allow you to enjoy this podcast with these awesome stories we told today. <laughs> right? It's like, well, there was some grisly details in the first. The second has absolutely no, like, I'm glad that- Resolution. Yeah, exactly. It, there's like no satisfaction in it. I'm glad Steven got out and everything, but he fucking had to be in there for 30 fucking years almost. Right. Uh, and he didn't do anything. He was a 17-year-old kid. Yeah, that's it's just bullshit. I uh, it makes me mad. I forgot to tell you, um, Ooh. in mine that they use the case, the Hi Fi Murders, mm-hmm. in the FBI Academy at Quantico. They're taught about the case and included. It's uh, part of the crime classification manual. The fuck is here? I don't know. I'm gonna like peek my head out the door when we're done. <laughs> I don't have pants on, so I can't go out there. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> just Winnie the Pooh in it over here. I'm literally have spent the last two weeks just actually. Let's be honest. Since I had surgery, I've just been Winnie the Pooh in it. Just t-shirt on, no bottom. Um, my mom was um, like, "When's the last time you wore pants like for a full day?" And I'm like, "Listen, don't judge me." <laughs> Listen, Linda, 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 listen, listen Linda. Uh, but all right. Well, let's see. You know, I haven't checked any of these uh, dating sites. Let's see if I have anything. Let's just take a little peek. Let's just take a little peek. See, see what happens. See if there's any interesting fellers. Are they? In- I'm just strolling through. Scrolling. Strolling. Rolling. Um, rolling. 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 Keep those, Keep those prices, prices rolling. rolling. <laughs> oh, Walmart commercials. It is really funny. I think about like the commercials from when we were kids and I'm like, they were so catchy and now they're just like not. I mean, they're coming back now with commercials for kids um, that are like, bang, boom, whoa, let's go do this. <laughs> Speaking of catchy commercials, my mom, <laughs> there's a couple of them on. And I can't sing them off the top of my head, but the minute they come on, I start singing with them. And my mom's like, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, you need to go back to work. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I like have them all memorized. Like, and I just like sing along with them. And she's like, I can't with you. I can't. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got nothing in here. It's just a lot of, Hey, right. what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey. I'm telling you, quarantine canceled and all of the creeps went back to work. Who knew they had jobs? <laughs> it's all those people, you know, idle hands are the devil's handiwork. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stick my head out the window too, or window. <laughs> do what the is happening with your brain? <laughs> I'm having, I'm stroking on, I'm just having you are strokes. not firing on all cylinders today. <laughs> nope. All right. I want to see who's here. So. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> uh, follow us and uh, like our shit on Facebook and Instagram, ISW the podcast. Maybe shoot us an email or something on ISW the podcast at gmail.com. with us. Yeah, like comment and shit. I'm going to try to be better about like actually posting and being It'd be the nice. social person. Doing Spread my job. Spread yourselves. Thanks, guys. I really need to stop whispering at the end. It's creepy. Yeah, you're just trying to creep everybody out. They're like, well, I'm not going to listen to that again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bye, guys. Have a good week. Bye.